You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine. And as we are now within a month of the 2022 NFL draft, obviously we're spending as much time as we can breaking down scenarios, giving you information thoughts on what the Giants might do or not do. And, and here today to uh, to help me break down some scenarios is the the tremendous, the always insightful Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well, Ed. It is great to be here. Um, excited that we are, like you said, basically a month out. So we are in the final stretch. We in the football media business now have at least a, some light at the end of the tunnel. We have May and June to look forward to. We get to sort of catch our breath a bit uh, before it starts all over again, but excited to be here. Excited to talk about the draft. So, Hey, let's, let's get right into it. And, and when we talk to you, Mark, it, you, you're, you're kind of these days, you're, you're like the, the baseball pitcher who came into the big leagues with, with just the fastball with, you know, just, talking quarterbacks all the time and now you've expanded into into anything and everything and a much deeper repertoire which we give you credit for but when we talk to you it always comes back to starting with quarterbacks so let's start there for you obviously giants have the fifth and seventh overall picks they're not taking a quarterback but we'll talk a little bit about trade scenarios in a bit for you, how many quarterbacks are there who should go or or will go in the top 10? And I know those are two different questions. In terms of should, I'd almost say that there's one reluctantly, and that's Malik Willis, um, the quarterback from Liberty, who I believe has – I don't know if he cemented himself as the consensus QB one, you know, this is a draft class Ed, as you well know, ask six different people about who QB one is. You'll get six different answers. You know, I I'm working on my quarterback rankings for USA today. It's going to go up next week. You know, you pull up PFF's draft guy. They've got Sam Howell QB one. You ask other people at Desmond Ritter, the thoughts are kind of all over the place, but in terms of a guy that I'd be willing to at least take the swing on in the top 10, it's Malik Willis. And, I think in part, it's the allure of the upside. It's the Josh Allenification of the NFL right now, because a team is going to look at that arm talent. They're going to look at that athleticism and they're going to talk themselves into the idea that 
we can get him close to that ceiling with what we have in the building. We can get him close to his full potential as a quarterback. Now, whether they have the ability to do that obviously remains to be seen. And, you know, that's why, as I just got done writing before I hopped on in, in my quarterback rankings piece, ultimately what we predict, what we say, how we rank these guys, where they end up is going to ultimately tell the tale, you know? And so with Malik Willis, you hope he gets to an environment where there's organizational patience, where there's a record of quarterback development, or at least the ability uh, to develop a quarterback. And so because of his upside, I think he's the guy that should go in the top 10. He's the one. Um, how many will? Maybe two, maybe three. I mean, we're getting close to that time in the calendar where that quarterback carousel is spinning to a stop. Obviously, we're waiting on Baker Mayfield. We're waiting on Jimmy Garoppolo. It does seem in recent days, however, that both of those organizations, Cleveland and San Francisco respectively, whether it's a negotiated ploy or not, they're saying that they're willing to hold on to these guys into training camp, into perhaps next season. Perhaps San Francisco has a hedge against Trey Lance. Perhaps Cleveland has a hedge against a potential suspension for Deshaun Watson. Now they know they have guys that have started in those systems before. And so if those guys are still in San Francisco and Cleveland, when the draft rolls around in a month, you've got teams picking in the top 10. You've got Carolina at six. You've got Atlanta at eight. You've got Denver, uh, Seattle at nine that need quarterbacks. You've got Detroit at two that needs a quarterback for the future. And, and so those teams are going to start to get nervous. They're going to start to panic. And that's when you might see guys come off the board inside that top 10, where if you look at consensus big boards and rankings, they might be quarterbacks that are drafted in the top 10 and they're ranked in the twenties and the thirties. You know, it's just the value and the need at the position is going to see guys pushed up into the top 10 that in a vacuum probably shouldn't be there. And that, that leads us to, I think that uh, the, the other part of that, you said two, maybe three, my guess and apologies to Tony Rassiope because Mark did not pick Kenny Pickett, who's Tony's guy. <laughs> so, so if, if, if Tony's listening, I know the steam's coming out of his ears right now, but, uh, but, but I think draft day will be night. will be, it will be very kind to Kenny Pickett. Um, who's the third guy that might, that you think might come off the board in the top 10. I mean, I, I, I think Desmond Ritter is that third guy. You know, it's, it's interesting. You want to tier these quarterbacks. Uh, I'm a firm believer in tiering quarterbacks. And I, I think you look at, in my mind, the two guys that are closest to being able to just start day one, regardless of situation, it's Pickett and Ritter. Like, those are the two guys that I'm most comfortable. You know, when you look at ceilings versus floors, Willis might have the best ceiling in this class, but I think Pickett and Ritter have – the most stable floors. They have the experience, the bulk of work. They have it from a mental perspective where I'm most comfortable with those guys, you know, and, and as you said, look, we know Tony, we love Tony. He, he and Kenny Pickett are going to have a fantastic night on night one of the draft. I, I firmly believe that. And it wouldn't surprise me to hear Kenny Pickett come off the board at six uh, to Carolina. I mean, I think he's in that, you know, top of the first round conversation as a result of the work that he's done and what he's done this past season at Pittsburgh and the work that he's done with Tony. Um, I think Ritter has put himself into that mix for two reasons. One, the mental side, which I mentioned, you know, he, you watch his game against Houston, for example, the conference championship game, they did a lot from a spun safety perspective, move safeties of the snap one to two, two to high, two to one in terms of the, the, the safety shells, um, he's got the ability to work through progressions, get to the backside, dig, get to check downs, things like that. And then the way he tested at the combine 
you know, the four, five, two 40, the, the vert, the, the broad, he showed that explosiveness and that stuff we did see on film. They used him in design run packages. And so I think he's put himself into that mix, but that's me. You know, you might ask somebody else that might say, Oh, well, uh, Matt Corral might get in there. PFF has Sam Howell as QB one. He might get in there. I mean, there are varied opinions on this class, but from where I sit, the guys that I feel like might come off the board in that top 10, Willis, Pickett, Ritter in some order. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, about how all of this impacts the Giants. And we know the Giants are not going quarterback in the top 10 this year. They're just not. I mean, whether Daniel Jones is the guy long-term or not, they're going to give Daniel Jones the 2022 season to show Joe Shane, to show Brian Dable whether he deserves to be the guy long-term. And, and my guess at this point is he's probably not. I think we've seen enough in three years to know that, that, that unless something dramatic happens in year four, I don't think he's the guy that you give gazillions of, of dollars to you're going forward. But, and I think the other thing we've talked about is with those two picks, Mark, you and I have talked about the Giants maybe trading down with one of those picks, whether it's five or whether it's seven. And Dan Orlovsky the other day mentioned four quarterback needy teams, Atlanta, Carolina, Seattle, Pittsburgh. You put Detroit in there as the fifth, which I don't think Detroit's going quarterback at two. No, but no. – but, but 32 or sometime in the draft. Yeah. The, so, the, so the question for, for me is which one of, which of those teams do you think, you know, might come after, you know, one of the giants two picks as, as a trade partner. Yeah. And, and it, it's interesting when you and I talked at the combine, we floated and discussed the idea of moving down from seven I think now moving down from five might be in the cards, you know, because if you're a team, whether it's Atlanta at eight, Seattle at nine, Pittsburgh at 20, that wants to get your guy, you might want to get ahead of Carolina at six. No, Carolina now seems like after, you know, going down and kicking the tires on the veteran quarterback market, whether it was, you know, a trade for Garoppolo or a trade for Deshaun Watson, they're now in a position where it's Sam Donald or who knows what. And so you might need to get ahead of Carolina at six. That becomes a situation where you look at Mike Tomlin has been doing the dinner and dance circuit with these quarterbacks over the past couple of weeks. He was down in Mississippi. You took Malik Willis out to dinner. It certainly seems like the Pittsburgh Steelers are in play for a quarterback with the idea that they're going to roll with Mitchell Trubisky or Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins for this season and transition to a quarterback down the road. Pittsburgh coming up from 20 is certainly an option. You know, if you're Atlanta, if you're Seattle, you know, you might want to get in on that as well, because if you just stay pat at eight or at nine, you might be looking at QB two. You might be looking at QB three on your board. Like if you're going to go draft a quarterback, go get your guy. And so it now looks like Joe Shea might have a situation where he might feel like he has to trade out of five or at least is getting a lot of calls about that pick at five. And, and those teams, particularly Pittsburgh, sitting there at 20, where you know, when you're picking in the 20s, you don't have a ton of holes. But quarterback of the future is certainly a big one. It's one that they've got to figure out. And so are you willing to slide back to 20, to 20 from five if you get a lot in terms of draft capital for this year and next year? 
I think you might be willing to do that, knowing you're still picking at seven, particularly if it's a situation where you know they're coming up for a quarterback, you might still get a very good player, someone that you're willing to draft at five, staring at you at the face in seven, and at 20, you're still going to get a very good player. And if you get, as we've talked about and as others have talked about, that future first-round pick in next year's draft, that gives you the option there. If Daniel Jones doesn't do what he needs to do this year, and we're sitting here this time next year and thinking that Daniel Jones is not the guy, and he might not even be a giant in that situation if that's the case this time next year, you might need two picks to go get a C.J. Stroud, a Bryce Young, a Phil Jacobic, a Will Levis. And so, Philadelphia, I mean, Pittsburgh at 20, some of these other teams 8-9, that might be an opportunity to sort of come back, still get a good player when you're on the clock with that second pick now, but give you that ammunition for next year's draft. Yeah, and I think the the worry for all Giants fans is, well, we have to get that. Everybody feels like they have to get that right tackle in the top 10. And, and if, I think you're right, if if two teams take quarterbacks Somebody comes up to five to take a quarterback. The Panthers take a quarterback at six. There's going to be a right tackle available, whether it's Neil or Aquanu, I don't know. But but at the very least, Cross is going to be sitting there at seven. So, and I don't know, I don't know how you feel about Cross as a top seven pick. I mean, it's, it's, a, and this gets us to another thing we talked about, which was, are you comfortable taking OT three with one of those picks at five and seven? Cause I think that's where most people have cross. I know I call Doug Ferraris a bit higher on him. I think Doug has crosses OT one. I mean, ideal situation is, you know, you see the two pass rushers at one and two Houston, you know, maybe they go Kyle Hamilton. Maybe the Jets decide they're going to take a Jermaine Johnson or a Trayvon Walker. So now you've got three edges and a safety in the top four. You trade out a five quarterback there at five quarterback there at six. Now you've got the option for OT one at seven. Like that's a plausible scenario in this draft. And then look, you draft Evan Neal, a guy that Duke Mannyweather is posting clips of him at right tackle handling Will Anderson off the edge of practice. You'd feel pretty comfortable coming out of the draft with Evan Neal at seven and then maybe a 20, you know, you're looking at the rest of this draft here. Maybe, you know, you go uh, pass rusher off the edge. You might get the Purdue kid available in the 20s. I know David Ojabo just had that Achilles, so he'd be out for next season in all likelihood, but he's a very good pass rusher that might be available in that range. There are going to be some corners, and if there's a Bradbury move, you might want to address corner. You're talking about a Trent McDuffie in that range of the draft. Maybe even, you know, some of the other corners that are in there, Kair Elam from Florida, and so – you could come out of that with OT1 and another good piece in that 20 range. That's not a bad little haul. Of course, a lot of things have to break that way. We could see Evan Neal go first overall. Jacksonville Jaguars, they need to address offensive line too. I mean, you might move out of five and OT3 is staring you in the face and you're going to make a really tough decision at that point. Yeah, that is that remains one of the one of the most intriguing things about this draft. I know Todd McShay just released this morning a, a tiered look at draft prospects where he put guys in six tiers. And in tier one, in his elite tier, he has zero players. So, you know, zero guys that are, you know, absolute, you know, absolute, you know, blue chip guys i think he has nine or ten guys in his second tier 
between between that and and the lack of quarterbacks and the options that teams have it's just this is really an an insanely intriguing draft for me as i'm sure it is for you it it absolutely is ed and i i think what I mean, we all know the quarterbacks sort of move the needle and we don't have the top and elite talent like we did last year. We're not going to see five guys in the top 15. We might not see five guys in the top 60. I mean, it's just a, a different draft class. And I think overall, this is more of a 30 to 90 draft class than it is a one to 40. I mean, you're going to get very good players in that 30 to 90 range of, of a wide array of them. But you're not going to see teams drafting guys because, you know, that top 10 or so isn't filled with elite talent. There are very good players. You know, Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Hamilton, Kayvon Thibodeau, excuse me, Kyle Hamilton. They're very good football players, but they all have some questions. You know, with Hamilton, it's positional value. And, you know, now obviously with his 40 times that are floating around from the Notre Dame Pro Day, there are questions about his speed. There are questions about Thibodeau. There are questions about Hutchinson. You know, you've got Derek Stanley. Uh, you watch his 2019 tape. He's the, he's CB1 with a bullet. But you see him the last couple of years with injuries and things like that. There, there are more questions that have arose because of the way he's played. And so the top end talent, like teams are going to be taking guys in the top 10 that are really guys that you see in the middle on, on most drafts, in the middle of the first round. And so that's what makes it intriguing. That's what makes it a fascinating draft to think about. I think I've been talking to some people in and around teams, and I think there's going to be some surprises. There are some names that you're going to hear in the top 10 that really aren't on consensus top 10s right now. I think because of the questions about these, this class as a whole, we're going to see some surprises when the first round is all said and done. I, I think we always do. We see the, the Cleveland Farrell selections right which come out of uh, which come out of left field vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home you need a tool to get the most out of your time away that's where viator steps in You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, Mark. Joe Shane has talked about wanting to identify seven players for the top seven picks in the draft. And depending on how the board falls, he, he has said what he wants is to feel comfortable picking any of those seven players. We did at Big Blue View a seven for seven. 
that I participated in, Nick Filato participated in, Chris Flum participated in, where we picked our seven. You did not participate in that. I'm not even sure I asked you to participate in that. I probably did not. But today I'm going to put you on the spot. For the New York Giants, the top seven guys that that you would feel really comfortable with um, in the top seven if the Giants don't trade out. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I look at I'm, – I'm sketching the names out right now. Um, Aquano and Neal are the two offensive tackles that, you know, I'm, I'm fine with any of those – either of those guys in the top seven. I am a huge believer in Ahmad Sauce Gardner. I think he's CB1 in my mind. I have no problems drafting him in the top five of this draft class, regardless of team. I, I think, you know, he's the lawn – versatile rangy man press corner but can do things in zone coverage i'm a huge fan of his game you know the two pass rushers that i trust the most are thibodeau and hutchinson you know i i know that thibodeau is going through a little bit of a slide right now but i still feel that like when all is said and done when he finally tested his pro day people were going to see like yeah he's the explosive type pass rusher you bet on those traits i'm i got no problem with him um hutchinson as well so that gives you four five uh, and I'd throw Jermaine Johnson in there at six. I, I think he's a solid option off the edge, going to be a steady player in this league for years. I, I know people are putting Trayvon Walker into this mix. I don't quite see it. I'm not there yet, but if you want to tell me he's in that group as well, fine. And the last name is Kyle Hamilton. And I, I know he's going through a slide right now. And I had an interesting discussion with somebody, you know, in, in the league right now about the comparison with what, Hamilton does with what quarterbacks do because a lot of people are saying that he's slow and I just said well look it's the safety equivalent of a quarterback that doesn't have an elite arm so he's going to have to win a little bit with his mind you watch him process things you watch him figure some things out you watch him work through options as a defender eliminating options that the quarterback has available to him and then beating the quarterback to that throw because he knows he can only throw this out route he can only throw this corner out. He can only throw this post route. I've eliminated everything else that he can do on this given play. That's how he's going to win with his mind in the next level. Now, the pushback on that was, are you trusting him to play single high safety? Maybe not. You know, maybe he's not your center fielder type. But as more and more teams move to these two high looks we're seeing league wide, I'm perfectly comfortable with him being a, a half field safety in a cover two, cover four situation. I'm perfectly fine with that. And he's great down in the box near the line of scrimmage. And so I'm okay with him in the top seven. I'm okay with him being one of those seven players in this draft. It's interesting when it comes to Hamilton, because I looked at him a while ago and I see two things. When you talk about the way that he wins, you talk about instincts, how quickly he reads and reacts to things. And and I watch him, there was a play, and I forget who it was against, where he came two-thirds of the way across the field to make an interception on, yeah. a, on a play. Yeah, the Florida that, State play, yeah. On a play that he shouldn't have even been involved in. And, and here's the, the other thing that I see is if you talk about angles, Kyle Hamilton always manages to take a straight path to the football. He always seems to know where the football is going to be. And you, there's so many times you see safety play where, where a guy will come flying down and he misjudges 
where yeah. his where the tackle's going to be or where the ball's going to be. I don't see that with Kyle Hamilton. I think that is where he makes up for some of that uh, some of that lost speed or some of that lack of speed. And and I think I'm with you. I think I'm one that doesn't I don't buy this positional value argument with safety just because it's such a passing league now and 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 safeties are asked to do so much and they're still the last line of defense. Yeah. And, and the thing about Hamilton, you know, and, and the point about the instincts and the feel and all that stuff, when you have a guy on the back end that can fix mistakes in front of him, I, I think that's a valuable piece to have. And the, the point about safeties being asked to do so much in today's NFL, it's, it's entirely valid. And I also throw that positional value at, sort of term out the window when it comes to safeties. I mean, I'm somebody that for years has advocated the need to have talent on the back 30 year defense. And as we move to this too high world, you're going to need two very good safeties that can do things like that. It's not like the days of old where it's like, you got one strong safety, you got one free safety, you got one guy that's kind of like a linebacker, one guy that's that rangy guy. You need guys that can sort of do both. And in a pinch, even at the NFL level, I have no true fear about Kyle Hamilton playing a, a free safety single high role because of those instinct, of that awareness, that feel, that ability to read and react and erase options for a quarterback with his mind. And, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in having his game. You know, we'll see what the NFL feels. I, I Something tells me the NFL is more in line with what you and I are thinking about while they overreact into a guy's 40 time because there's a difference between, you know, track speed and, and play speed. And play speed, you factor in the read, the react, the awareness – when he gets a jump on things, you know, look, look at it this way. If he's a step ahead or two steps ahead of a typical safety with a faster 40 time, he'll still get there first or still get there right on time. And that's what you want, right? You know, there's always that discussion about arm length when, um, you know, people are talking about offensive tackles, right? Can they play? Can they play Howard Mudd, right? Length, footness, foot quicks, whatever. I don't care. Just get to the spot on time. I don't care how you do it. Just get there. That's the same thing with Hamilton. Like, so he can't, he can't run a four, four. All right. He's going to get a two yard head start. He'll get there on time. Well, you know, it comes back to that whole argument of how much weight you put on what you see at the combine. And right. what do we say all the time? Watch the tape, watch the games. Don't watch what guys do in shorts and t-shirts. You know, what, what uh, guys commonly refer to as the underwear Olympics. When you put too much weight on the underwear Olympics, you make mistakes. Kyle Hamilton is a tremendous football player. And as you said, it doesn't matter whether he gets there with speed or whether he gets there with instincts, proper angles, aggression, you know, however he gets there, he gets there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's, that's the, uh, the the important point mark i want to ask you quickly i keep coming back to with the giants this argument that 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 people have that they absolutely have to get a right tackle at five or seven in the top 10 or whatever and we don't know how they feel about charles cross you know i'm one who i could care less that he's never played right tackle if that's what the if that's if the Giants like him, he's 21 years old. He can learn how to play right tackle. He can make that adjustment. But the 
the big fear that that people have is, oh my God, what happens if the draft breaks in a way that the Giants don't get their right tackle in the first round? And, and what I'm trying to find out from people is, you know, Giants don't get their right tackle at 36. Who's the guy you would bang the table for as a as a right tackle prospect? You know, at 36, guy that you think might be there. I mean. Could Pettin slide to 36? Probably not. I mean, there, there's a weird sort of gap after that top four, say, um, you know, whether it's Aquanu, Neil, Cross, Pennon. Then you get into that, you know, Philele, Raymond, Abraham, Lucas kind of range. Um, of those guys, I mean, the guy I guess I would bet the most on would be Philele, just because, like, sheer size. I mean, I remember standing at his podium. You know, I remember when they, they took the chair away from his podium because they knew he the chair would collapse if he sat on it. I mean, he's just <laughs> a, a massive human being. I mean, at that point, you know, sort of to the conversation, just get to the spot, just take one step, you're at the spot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so, you know, I'm, I'm also with you in the terms of like, but let's say the draft goes, you trade out of five and all three of those tackles we've talked about are off the board at seven. Are, are you taking Trevor Pennon at seven overall OT four and passing on a guy that might be the top player at their position, passing on tremendous value just because you feel like you have to come out of the top seven with an offensive tackle? Like probably not. And so that gets you to this idea that, you know, don't address, don't feel like you're just checking boxes. Like I think you have to look at the board, how it falls and realize that, you know, to, to reach on a player to fill a need and pass up on tremendous value at a different position that might not be as high a need. That's probably not the best way to go about things. Well, this is, this is one of the things that I say to, uh, to people all the time, you know, I do every year I do my, my big blue view rules for draft success and, and I tweak them a little bit. I kind of tweak the explanations, but one of my rules is always draft value over perceived need because we can all say the giants need a right tackle because yeah, they do need a right tackle because Matt Gano and Corey Cunningham are not your long-term answers. But as you said, would you, the draft, would you draft Trevor Penning over sauce Gardner? Right. Not a, not a, not a chance. The thing of it is that I always try to remind people and, and, and I kind of want to know if you agree or disagree the draft is not necessarily about the upcoming season. The draft is about the long term. And the other part of that is what look like needs now might not be the same needs that you have when you actually start playing games. Yeah. So, I mean, so, you, so you, you take value because if you, if I tell people, because people will say, well, the Giants need a right tackle in round one, and then they need a linebacker in round two, and then they need a running back in round three. And, and I tell you can't do it that way. Maybe they want those things at some point in the draft, but you can't do it that way because that's how you make mistakes and leave really good players who can help you for a long time on the board. Our, our friends at the Draft Network put together a, a line of clothing, hats, T-shirts, all sorts of stuff with a simple phrase, draft good players. Like, like that's, that's what you should do. You draft good players. And whether they fill a need or not that you see right now on your roster, that doesn't matter because needs change. You know, you might wake up 
two months from now and suddenly you don't have two starting corners in the NFL. You've traded James Bradbury. You've moved on from – and now you're looking at in a passing league, you drafted OT4 at seven overall and passed on, you know, Booth, Stanley, Gardner, and, and now you're left without starting corners in a passing-based league with guys that can throw the ball 60 times a game. Like, you draft good players. Or maybe, like, you know, you get the tackle that you want at five or at seven, and that's all well and great. But a year from now, you've passed on other players, and suddenly that's a position of need, and you don't have the, the resources, the draft capital, the ability to go fill those needs and address those needs. Draft good players. Like, like that's the be-all and end-all of it. Like, that's the easy part, that idea. Now, identifying those good players, that's a little bit tougher. You know, and, and we all know that the draft isn't an exact science and an exact art. Evaluations get missed, get wrong. Players don't pan out the way we hope. That's part of the process here, you know, and you hope you identify the good players, but that's the simple rule, the simple mantra. Draft good players. Don't fill imaginary needs. Draft good players regardless of position. All right. Hey, quick question for you that, that popped into my mind as you were talking about evaluating players and it's a it's a twofold question kind of good news bad news question for you mark a biggest draft evaluation mistake that you've ever made in terms of a guy that you kind of banged the table for and the flip side of that is a guy who you had that nobody else or or very few other people had you know who, who really panned out Wow. I could spend a lot of time on the mistakes. I mean, whether it was Josh Rosen, QB one, Dak Prescott, you know, ranked really low in the draft that year he came out. I mean, you know, Brett Rippon, QB four. I mean, I've missed particularly on the quarterback side on, on a lot of guys and you try to apply Like for example, the Prescott miss, I had him, I had it in my notes that he was a huge player when it came to competitive toughness. I didn't weigh it properly in my evaluation. I've learned from it. I, I started to apply that more and more because it matters so much of that position. I, in terms of guy that I sort of got right that others didn't, I mean, it's hard to say about a guy that won in the first round, but, you know, Justin Jefferson, a lot of people said, look, Jefferson, he's a slot only guy. He's not going to work at the next level. He can't beat press coverage. And I spent that entire run up to that draft telling people, no, 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 no. He can beat press coverage. He's going to be great in this league. Like you, you're missing out wildly on him. And I, I think I kind of got that one right. But, you know, I probably have other hits, uh, other guys that I got right that, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown is another. I was really high on him. Um, and I think he's going to be a very good receiver in this league for a long time. Uh, maybe I should start doing more wide receiver stuff, perhaps, than quarterback stuff. I seem to be missing <laughs> on the QBs right now. Um, but, it, you know, it's hard. It, it, it's very hard. And, as I said, sort of the outset, particularly with quarterback, landed spot is so critical. It, it's easy to say pre-draft, like these are the guys top six. The tougher question is after the draft, you know, now that we know where they landed, okay, now tell me your ranks. And, and I think that's something we need to sort of start doing is the pre-draft stuff is nice. The post-draft stuff, I think, is where you can really sort of say, okay, now we know that Malik Willis is in Carolina. Not so sure how I feel about that, but you know, we all have our misses. Um, you, you try to learn from them and move on from them. Um, you know, those are just a handful of mine. I'm sure there are dozens of others that people will be happy to point out here soon. Yeah, before I let you go, as, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the Giants and I was thinking about Daniel Jones. And 
we know what we've seen from Daniel Jones, but we also know that Daniel Jones is now on his third head coach on his fourth offensive coordinator um, that Saquon Barkley has really never been healthy during his entire time as, you know, the giants quarterback. So I think we know we've seen from Daniel Jones that he's not ever going to be a top five quarterback, but, but how much of, of what we know about Daniel Jones really is, is circumstance driven. I think a huge part of it is circumstance driven at this point. And, you know, we, we, we all know that sort of, you know, sociological idea of nature versus nurture. I think that's extremely important when it comes to quarterbacks. I mean, you know, the environment that they're put in and how conducive or non-conducive that environment is to quarterback development and success is a huge part of it because, you know, you mentioned three head coaches, four offensive coordinators. I remember this time last year, it was, can Daniel Jones have his Josh Allen leap and, you know, well, look at Josh Allen, one head coach, one offensive coordinator, like stability and, you know, consistency around that quarterback is critical. And when you've got a revolving door, head coach and offensive coordinator, it is going to be very difficult for you to get that sort of stability. And so, you know, for, for, for Jones's sake, now he has Brian Dable, like he has guys that have done it with other quarterbacks. Maybe he's in an environment now but the window is almost slammed shut at this point, because as we all know, decisions have to be made about fifth year options and things like that. It seems like that window is almost slammed shut on Daniel Jones. Now, maybe he pulls it out this year. Maybe they figure it out and, you know, they have to make a decision about if they don't exercise the option franchise tagging them or something like that. But that environment is so critical and Jones has not had the most stable of environments around him that allows for quarterback success and development. All right, Mark, we always enjoy talking to you. Uh, thank you very, very much for the time. Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Please remember to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.